Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 495 with Devorah Zach. Devorah is sharing her pro tips for networking. If you hate networking, so you'll learn one, how to smoothly start, sustain, and end conversations. Two, how to ease your pre-networking anxiety. And three, best practices for writing amazing follow-ups. So if you want to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's on over to awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep495. Now, here's Devorah's story. Devorah Zach is the CEO of Only Connect Consulting, a Washington Post bestselling author and global speaker with books in 45 language translations. Her clients include Deloitte, Smithsonian, Delta Airlines, the FDA, Johns Hopkins, and the National Institutes of Health. She's been featured by the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, US News and World Report, and many other places. She is the author of Networking for People Who Hate Networking, Managing for People Who Hate Managing, and Multitasking. Big thanks to Devorah for spending some time with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Here is Devorah. Devorah, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. My pleasure. Now, Devorah, I understand that you identify as a strong introvert, and yet you are now doing all sorts of speeches and writing about networking. What is the story here? Networking is not exclusively for extroverts, I've discovered. So it started off when I was teaching a lot of seminars and building connections and creating new relationships and sustaining businesses. And I suddenly realized that all the so-called excellent networking advice didn't work for me, and I started doing the opposite. And who would have ever guessed it's a whole new method of networking that works for many people. As a matter of fact, the majority of people, traditional networking advice does not resonate with them, and they do far better, myself included, by honoring who they are and accepting their natural temperament. Okay, then. Well, so then that's intriguing. And so What would be an example of of honoring your natural temperament versus violating it? So traditional advice says get out there as much as possible, constant contact, uh, never eat a meal alone. And that kind of advice makes most of us want to run and hide, crash and burn, (laughs) and proclaim ourselves to hate networking and be terrible at it. So instead, if you work with, understand who you are, and then create a system that honors how you get energy. For example, introverts get energy alone, whereas extroverts get energy with others. Networking for people who hate networking. Certainly. Well, so then can we hear some some cool case stories associated with folks who who tackled some of those approaches and, and saw fantastic results? Sure. I'll give one about myself when I wanted to get my first book published for the first time. So I was at a conference and there were about 40 different publishers there. And so traditional wisdom would say, 
meet all of them because that'll maximize the possibility that you'll hit it off with one of them. But I knew as an introvert that that would drain me and that it would also feel really inauthentic so I wouldn't be bringing my best foot forward. So instead, I did research in advance, which I always recommend people do, found and identified one publisher that I thought would be a really perfect fit, had one meeting at the conference, and I was the only person they signed out of 16,000 people. And we're working together 10 or 12 years later. So it really is shows as one little example that instead of saying I should do something like I should go out there and meet with everyone, I should try and spend as much time with as many different publishers as possible. Instead to say, I'm going to follow what feels authentic and seek out where I think, think there's a real connection. That's interesting. This notion, to, let's unpack that a bit when it comes to the should under what circumstances do you think we should violate our shoulds or ignore or overrule the a should voice versus kind of run with them? Right. In my book, I say, you should never say should. <laughs> so it's hard to kind of get around that sometimes. Uh, so there's really three differences between introverts and extroverts. And my system of networking is really focused on this dimension. So introverts think to talk and extroverts talk to think. Introverts energize alone and extroverts energize with others. And introverts go deep, the deeper into fewer relationships, fewer interests, less activity around them. That does not mean they're less active. It just means less competing action for the brain. And extroverts are the opposite. They talk to think, they energize with others, and they go, why? They like a lot of people, a lot of action, a lot going on. So if I know that I think to talk, what I have to do is to prepare in advance some good questions to practice what I'm going to say, to uh, get familiar with typical topics people might raise at this event and be prepared with answers. Also, if introverts mm -hmm. are, tend to be more private and they don't want to talk about themselves as much, they can spend more time thinking of great questions to ask other people. And by the way, if you don't like talking about how wonderful you are, you can show people instead by demonstrating an authentic interest in other people. Right. And when it comes to some of these great questions, have you found some, some go-to winners that you love and are great again and again? Yeah. One is that you want to make them interesting. The questions that people want to answer and that you're actually interested in hearing the response to. So avoid the kind of old questions that are a little dull, like, what do you do? Like, that's really basic. So with a slight twist, you can say, what's your favorite part of your work? And suddenly the person comes alive. They're talking about something they're passionate about. It's more interesting to listen to. So that's an example of a, a good well-formed question. You want to be cautious with your questions also about making them initially not too personal because introverts, especially if they have a strong, what's called strength of preference, a strong identification with introversion, they tend to find more things private. So something an extrovert might ask would seem perfectly innocent question and an introvert might feel on the spot. So start with the general questions and then let the other person who you're talking to decide how specific to get. And they might get more and more specific, the more comfortable both of you are in the conversation. A corollary to that is people often ask me when we're in the context of conversations and questions, how do you end a conversation? So I, I may be find a way to be really engaging so people want to talk to me, but what if it's time for me to move on in the event or in the evening or the daytime? So it's really quite simple to end a conversation in a networking event because there is an expectation that people are there to meet people. So nonverbals really make a big difference. Tone, pleasant facial expression, smile, say, well, it's been really interesting talking to you. I promised myself I'd circulate or almost the reverse of that. Well, I'm sure you want to meet other people. Here's my card. So it's really 
very simple to end a conversation, but the key is when you're in the conversation to be entirely focused on that other person. A lot of times people are looking for the quote unquote right person to communicate with and they are not making good eye contact and they're distracted. Instead, I encourage people to decide that whenever they're in a conversation with someone, that's the right person for that period of time. And your job is to find out why. Why is this the person in front of you out of everyone at the event or indeed everyone in the world? And so you, you've made that point there before with regard to not trying to you know work the room and, and talk to absolutely everybody, but instead uh, make some of those deeper, more authentic relationships. And, and you've made reference, I understand, in your book to a couple of other old rules of networking advice. Uh, what are some of those and what makes things different now? Did you have any in particular you wanted me to pound to pieces or? <laughs> oh, I would love to you to pound to pieces. The one that is the most prevalent and the most wrong. There's so many. I'll, I'll start with one. that's a popular saying, which is to never eat a meal alone, that every meal is a networking opportunity. And again, it's about calibrating your. So you're saying Keith Ferrazzi, you're dead wrong. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I really do disagree with that. Uh, well, I should say that works for about 15% of the general population. So that's good advice for ex really strong extroverts, people that identify strongly with extroversion. It doesn't work for the rest of us, and it allows us to not have time to re-energize. So what I recommend is that if you need time alone to prepare before a program, before a presentation, when you're on a business trip, to allow yourself to have a meal alone if that energizes you. Okay. Well, and I'm also curious to get your take on the networking survival kit. It seems like we got some things in terms of advanced preparation internally with thought. Are there some physical items here too? <laughs> physical. Yes, as a matter of fact. So the networking events survival kit, I believe you're referring in particular to it. There's a chapter in the book called that. And I have a 3P strategy that helps us network more effectively. Um, one is to prepare. The next is to percolate. That means to engage and then to pace yourself. However, you asked a, an interesting question. Are there any physical pieces in the survival kit? And I would say yes. And that is the first thing that's important to have in your survival kit is a small mirror. When you get to networking events, take a moment and check yourself out. <laughs> Make sure that you're um, not disheveled, that you're cleaned up. A lot of times we're like rushing from one place to another and we're like in a hurry and we might be a little bit late. So we just jump on in. It's always worth the time to take a moment to focus yourself internally and externally. So it might mean if there's a, a powder room or a bathroom nearby to, to get centered in, or if you just have a like again, a small mirror with you, take a moment, make sure you're put together, also physically put together. So take a couple of breaths and get centered. I also recommend a, for your survival kit, an energy bar or a snack, something to have before the event so you don't arrive starving. A lot of networking events involve food, often open buffet or pass around food. And so one of two situations is usually the case. Either you uh, bought a ticket and you're like, I'm going to eat my money's worth or someone else is covering it. And then you're like, hey, it's a free meal. And I encourage you to not think of it as either one. Don't arrive starving. It's okay to eat a little bit. But uh, there's been a, many, many networking mishaps that I've been privy to, <laughs> not necessarily always involved in, but sometimes involved in that include food and being too eager to start eating. <laughs> please, please regale us with the tale or two of some eager eating mishaps. <laughs> Oh, uh, you know, my memory feels faulty today, but, um, but, uh, for example, having a mouthful of food when, uh, you're introduced to somebody that you've been wanting to meet, uh, spilling on yourself. Uh, also the types of food you eat at networking events matters too. If you love those everything bagels, that's for Sunday mornings with your family, but, uh, otherwise eat plain items such as crackers or bread without a lot of nuts and seeds that can get stuck in your teeth. When I'm 
helping organize a networking event, I always forbid spinach dip, <laughs> even though it tastes good, <laughs> because that causes a lot of trouble as well. I do have a little saying, which nobody likes, including myself, but it is a good rule of thumb for the most part. And it is eat before, drink after. That means eat something before the event, and then maybe a couple of simple things at the event, like carrots or things that are less likely to cause a mess. And then drink after the event in terms of alcohol. If you're at an event and you like to drink alcohol, maybe one or two drinks is okay, but to put a lid on it at that, I hear a lot of people telling me, but Devorah, I'm a better networker when I've had some drinks. And to this, I reply, says who? Should we pull the room? <laughs> because we often think we're better networking after a few drinks. Yeah, you might feel like you're a better networker because you're having more fun. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All of a sudden, I'm brilliant and hilarious and a real genius. You just want to be aware of that when you're at events that it might feel like a party, but it's still a business experience. Okay. We talk about physical items in the survival kit. I'm thinking a little bit about, I really dig those little, I guess they're Listerine is one of the brands, uh, pocket packs in in terms of... Oh, great one. I I love turning this survival kit physical, like a real bag. I, I think we should definitely throw that in there. That's a great one. And also comfortable shoes. If the bag is big enough, I really think in any networking situation, comfort over flash. So if you're comfortable in walking shoes, pick that over your really fashionable but uncomfortable shoes. That's my opinion anyway. Okay. And so then I want to get your take. If, if you're in the midst of things and you're feeling anxious right then and there in the moment, how do you recommend overcoming that? So it'd be okay with giving yourself a little time to yourself. Also reframe your mind. Everyone's not focused on you. Like we sometimes have delusions of grandeur that when I'm standing there not talking to anyone, the entire room is focused on me standing there not talking to anyone. Also make yourself available to others so, for example, if i am got myself a very modest plate of some plain carrots and red peppers or something, again, that's not going to make a disaster like handheld tacos or that kind of thing, then if you have these little cocktail high top tables to kind of make yourself comfortable standing at one of them and have a friendly expression to allow other people who are wandering out to maybe come over and talk to you, that's one thing you can do. Also, to be looking around with a pleasant expression on your face and you'll have those questions prepared and to keep an eye on people's name tags. Often name tags have interesting information, either what someone does or where they're from. If you're there, I always recommend that if you're uncomfortable at networking events to do something counterintuitive and that is to get to the event early instead of late because early on there are fewer crowds, less noisy, easier to get into conversation and it's a little calmer. So if you get there on the earlier side, you have another benefit of looking at usually there's name tag tables set up somewhere to see who's coming. If there's someone you want to meet or someone you haven't seen in a while that you didn't know was coming, that's something to get you centered and to occupy yourself for the first few minutes when you arrive. I also recommend that before the event, if you have the opportunity to see if you could be helpful in some way, either volunteer formally or informally, that not only positions you as a helpful person, but also gives you something to do and something to talk about at the event as a volunteer. What would be some examples of informal volunteer roles that are handy? So I arrive and I'm a regular participant and I might know the person who's organizing the event and maybe she's running around like crazy or he's running around. So I can go up and say, hey, what can I do to help? I'd love to be of assistance. Do you need these flyers put out on all the tables? Like make some suggestions. And then also remember to thank them for all their hard work. And you will be surprised how often people will give you something to do. And it's helping you as much as it's helping them because suddenly you have a purpose. 
Yeah. Okay. That's true. It makes sense that you're naturally shifting your attention away from yourself and creating, you know, and that self-consciousness and onto completing something. And so then you're, you're more in the groove right there. And it just feels a little bit like, you know, the expression, you know, act like you own the place in a way you, you kind of do, you, you own that piece of the experience in that moment. And, and there's just sort of a, a power that comes with that. Yeah. And also something to be cautious about is when someone who's more introverted meets someone that they feel a connection to, a potential hazard is that then they'll want to just stick with that person the rest of the program. <laughs> because like such a relief, like, oh my gosh, here's someone I connect to because I might not connect to so many people. Then it's like, oh, well, Pete, let's walk around the rest of the evening at the program. And so I have special advice for those introverts. And it's if you love someone, set them free, even though it's been lovely and the conversation <laughs> before everyone's gotten run out of topics or has gotten weary of each other. And uh, advice, a little side advice for extroverts when you're in conversation. And actually, I got this advice from a client who's an extrovert. So it comes from a real live extrovert. He said something he thinks in his brain when he is concerned, maybe there's an imbalance of conversation when he's meeting people, is he says to himself, wait, W-A-I-T, and it stands for, why am I talking? <laughs> so he asks himself that mm -hmm. to make sure, to sort of as a reality check, like maybe it's time for me to stop talking. So different advice for different folks. Right, yes. Well, let's talk a bit more about when you're in the thick of it, that conversation. So we've had some openers and we're in sort of in the mix and you're, you're watching out for dominating if, if you're preferring extroversion and have a lot of fun. And what are some other pro tips with regard to keeping the conversation going in some cool, interesting ways? So I would always favor asking questions and if given the opportunity, open-ended questions as opposed to closed-ended questions, like also to to make sure that what you're saying is in the positive. It's really astonishing how often people attempt to bond over what's wrong. Like it's incredibly prevalent. So just take note of it next time you're out and about. And I'm, unfortunately, I think you'll probably find that to be the case. Oh my gosh, the weather's terrible. The parking was bad. The trap, so much traffic. They downscaled this year. It looks like the cheese has been sitting out too long. I think they skimped. No one, some people didn't show up that were supposed to show up on. I mean, I could go on and on and on because there's so many examples. So really try and take a moment before you speak and think, is this positive? Like not to be fake, but what's something positive I can say? How can I be positive and helpful and be someone that people want to be around as opposed to um, someone who's looking at what's wrong all the time. So be careful about that in conversation. And also when you are meeting with people, it, may, it might be easy at the end of the conversation just to delve into another conversation. If you just spoke to someone you really do want to keep in touch with, then take get their card if they have one and take a moment to just jot down a couple of notes to yourself on the front of the card about where you met them, what you talked about, what you might be able to follow up on. Uh, it's a great gift to give yourself because we forget about half of what we hear within two days. So I may think, oh, Pete was so great. It was wonderful talking to him. I'm definitely going to follow up and see if he wants to get coffee. And like a few days later, I have a bunch of cards and I don't know which one was that person that I intended to follow up with. So uh, give yourself little timeouts to focus your brain. Well, let's hear some of your other perspectives on the follow-up. So one is making sure that it doesn't go too long because it can be forgotten. And what are some of the other, I'd say, common mistakes and best practices there? So be specific and remember to value connecting over collecting. So it's not about how many cards you collect. It's about who you connect with and how deep those connections are. To that end, I think that people will sometimes at the end of a conference send out like a blind CC or a group list to everyone saying, hey, it was great meeting you at that industry conference. Let's stay in touch. And that reads as phony. It's not specific. It's going to get deleted. So instead of reaching out to everyone who you touch base with in the conference, pick a couple of people, authentic 
individual specific follow-up and in the follow-up, make it short. I think email is a good way to follow up also with different personality styles and to see right away what you can do to offer the other person. Maybe an article you think they'd be interested in based on the conversation, maybe a connection you can make for them in their work, as opposed to right away thinking, what can they do for me? What, what am I asking for? Try and offer something in your follow-up. Well, and I'd love to get your, your take there. What are some of the some great ways that are broadly applicable that we can be generous and, and proactive givers there? So make sure it really is something that the other person might want. So if, again, it all goes back to what happens at the event. If you listen closely to what they're saying, pick up on what they're interested in because you've asked questions and because afterwards you've jotted something down on their card before you left, you'll have specific offers to make. It doesn't have to be something professionally. It could be, oh, you said you were coaching your son's soccer team. I read this hilarious article that I think you'll find funny about parents coaching their kids or whatever. Maybe it's offering them a laugh. But one thing to be careful about is to not think you're offering someone something when it's really you asking for something. Like sometimes people will say to me, hey, after meeting me, if superficially, hey, I'd love to treat you to lunch and pick your brain. Like that all of a sudden is not, it sounds like it's, you're, I'm getting something, but it's really that you want to pick the brain. So you want to make sure that it's really focused on what the other person is interested in. Also to that end, if you say, you, if you want to follow up with someone and maybe have more time with them, make it easy for the person to say yes. So if someone says to me, or I assume maybe to you, want to have lunch, that's a hard thing to say yes to because we're super busy professionals and have a lot of demands. However, if someone wants some advice and it's really concrete and they say, I'd love 10 minutes of your time to ask you some questions. I could come to your office or we could do it by video conferencing. Would that be possible? Then that's pretty easy for me to say yes to. So make it easy for people to, when it does come time to ask for something, to say yes to you. All right. Well, Devorah, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. Well, there's a couple new sections in the second edition of Networking People Hate Networking, one we've been talking about a little bit, which is follow up a new chapter on that because so many people are interested in that. There's also a new section on interviewing skills. But the one I want to mention in particular is cultivating connections in in non-professional environments. So I think it's, it's important for us in our lives. Many of us are a little bit isolated in between our work and our home life to find what's I call, or other people call as well, the third space, like a community outside of work. So I have a lot of tips, which you can read about, but also just in general to be on the lookout for ways to connect with people in a socializing way to to enrich your life beyond work. Yes. Any of those leap into mind with regard to those other social connecting ways? Well, it's to find hobbies or interests that are already inherently interesting to you. So pursue, maybe there's something when you were in college or in your younger years when you had more time that you did. Look at those old interests you had and see if you can find ways to revive them as you get older and busier. So to reawaken things that you enjoy doing. So it's not just about, I'm going to meet people, which is lovely, but it's also about cultivating an interest that you authentically have and would like to learn more about or become more proficient in. Okay. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Really, my favorite quote is by a philosopher named Philo of Alexandria, and it is, uh, be kind for everyone you know is fighting a great battle. And I love it because we may think we might see someone who seems like they have it all going on, 
but we can't really know. And to assume everyone's fighting their own battles, we can, we'll be extra kind to each other. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? So actually, I think my favorite quote of a scientist, who, a neuroscientist who did research, is actually from a different one of my books, Single Tasking, about how to be more focused in, in your in interactions. And there's a neuroscientist named Douglas Merrill, and he says, everyone knows kids are better at multitasking. The problem, everyone is wrong. And he did studies to show that no matter what age you are, you're always more effective and efficient and productive by focusing on one thing at a time. And how about a favorite book? My favorite book of all time is The Phantom Tollbooth. It's a children's book, but it's really for all ages. I remember that one, yes. And a favorite tool, something that helps you be awesome at your job? A really nice pen. As a writer, I write every day for hours a day. And I also do speaking, of course, but in between I'm writing. And I love a great pen. So I have a little collection. And what are you loving these days? In the pens? A variety. Just some are fountain pens, some are ballpoint, some are different sizes, different styles. I just, it's, I guess it's like if a, a musician has a favorite instrument. I go through different phases with different pens. And it's nothing like handwriting. I do a lot of writing on a computer too, but I, I still handwrite as well. Could you share with us a couple favorite ballpoint uh, brands and models? <laughs> Let's see. What am I using right now? It's Visconti, it's an Italian pen. They have a lot of beautiful versions. I don't want to favor one over the other, though, because I'll change my mind next week and then feel guilty that I said a different brand on your show. <laughs> and a favorite habit? Getting up really early. This is going to make everybody hate me who's listening, <laughs> but I, it's, it's true. Getting up really early in the morning to exercise. <laughs> I'm a morning person, and I love to wake up and move around. So that's my favorite habit, is exercising early in the morning. <laughs> and if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? My website? MyOnlyConnect.com. My company's called Only Connect Consulting. So MyOnlyConnect.com. You can find also any of my three books, Networking for People Who Hate Networking, Managing for People Who Hate Managing, and Single Tasking via, through the website or through bookstores. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Well, my final call to action in this context of networking is this, is you absolutely, everything else gets pushed aside you must follow up. You can be a brilliant networker. You can talk to anyone about anything. If you're not following up, you're not networking. It doesn't matter if you're great at speaking off the cuff. What matters is what happens the next day. Are you in touch afterwards? Did you build a meaningful relationship with that person? Is it mutually beneficial? So nothing can happen if you're just having a good time at the event or maybe dreading the event and then it just, just vanishes into a black hole. So there's a lot of other tips, but the key to anything happening is follow up. And one other thing, also being gracious to people. So I'll demonstrate. Thank you so much, Pete. It's been such a treat talking with you. Oh, thanks, Devorah. It's been fun. <laughs> I really appreciated Devorah's pro tip about prioritizing the value of connecting over collecting, not just because it's very memorable in rhymes, but because it's really been my experience lately. I'm thinking about, I've gone to this podcast movement event for, is it four times now? And the last time I really did prioritize connecting and just i had several conversations in which i just sat down and chatted with someone for like 45 minutes those were very rich and helpful and have resulted in a whole lot more than if i had a fistful of business cards so i am living proof that is for real what makes good sense so again if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced we're at awesome at your slash f495 if you haven't already i hope you'll push subscribe you'll catch our next guest it's mara thomas she's done boatloads of research into how our brains and how we focus our attention and how we can have better control and manage that attention effectively. Hope to catch you there. Peace. 
Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.